Our text for this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 opens a new section in Peter's first epistle. We've covered two sections already now. First of all, the salutation in verses 1 and 2 that identify the author and the recipients and also pronounce a blessing upon them. And then secondly, an extended doxology in verses 3 through 12, which is praise to God for His grace, the wonderful work of His salvation, which describes many of the aspects of salvation in glorious terms. And that is followed in verses 13 and following by sections of exhortation interspersed with more didactic sections. And the first one of those is where we begin today, chapter 1, verse 13, which continues through chapter 2 and verse 3 and is a series of exhortations for how Christians ought to live. And therefore, our text for today is a bridge between these two sections. It's a hinge between the doxology that goes before and the series of exhortations which follow after. And the text today is primarily an exhortation to prepare our minds and our thoughts and our actions or attitudes and actions for the requirements that God lays upon his children. It is telling us that the battle for Christian living is in the mind. And we either win or lose that battle in our thought life. And this text will tell us how to bring our thoughts into productive Christian living for the glory of our Lord. And so our text today, 1 Peter 1.13, gives foundational instruction for successful spiritual warfare. That's a theme that many people have written about and preached about and given instruction about how to live successfully for God, how to wage successful spiritual warfare, how to live the victorious life. And some of the instructions are correct and some are faulty, but here we have the foundation of it all. In 1 Peter 1.13, which says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The battle for the mind. And I'd like to look at three aspects of this as we find them in our text today. Number one, why engage the battle? Number two, is it worth the struggle? And number three, how do we fight effectively? Number one, why engage a battle? Nobody likes to fight. Nobody likes strenuous effort. Nobody likes to be in wrangling and warfare. So why are we to engage ourselves in this battle at all. And that is told to us by that opening word, therefore. Here's the reason why. Therefore, a strong conjunction, a strong inferential conjunction, said one of my commentators. A link to what has gone before it causes us to look back. It is a reason for the exhortations that are found in this verse And in the verses that come, we look back in order to draw strength for what lies ahead in Peter's epistle. 
And the reason for the exhortations that he's about to give, as directed by the Holy Spirit, is because of what he's already said. Because of this, for this reason, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that therefore, and all students of scripture know that whenever you find a therefore, you should look and see what it's Therefore, you've heard that many times, I'm sure. And the reason for this therefore is a reminder of the blessings which we as God's children already enjoy in Christ. It takes our minds back to that doxology in verses 3 through 12, which is all one sentence in the Greek language. A description of salvation. And it tells us many things about salvation. It tells us that the salvation we possess is a powerful salvation. Verse 3, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a powerful salvation. It is a salvation that has the power of God that is able to create life where it did not exist before. It is able to bring us to life. We have been begotten again. By the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. What a powerful salvation is ours. It's also a gracious salvation. Why did God do this? He tells us in verse 3, because of his mercy, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. God didn't do this because we deserve it. We didn't do anything to merit salvation. God didn't decide to make us his children because he saw a lot of good things in us. It's all totally because of his mercy, undeserved, undeserved blessings that are ours if we are the children of God. What a great salvation. It is indestructible, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. Indestructible. Nothing can destroy This great salvation that God has given to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And it is guaranteed, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. If you are now a child of God, you cannot fail to make it safely home to heaven and to receive all of the blessings that are promised to those who believe in Christ. It is guaranteed. And it is valuable. Verse 7, the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And on it goes. And these are reminders of what great grace we have, what wonderful salvation is ours, what incredible blessings God has poured out upon us so freely. And because we possess Such blessings we are therefore to think and to act in certain ways. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why engage the battle? Because of these great blessings that we have received from 
God, and therefore it's a battle that we should gladly engage in because God, by His grace, has placed us on this battlefield. He has taken us out of the former life where we wouldn't have to battle against sin and the flesh and the devil. That was our environment. He took us out of that, but we're still living in a fallen world, and therefore there's only one possibility. We have got to fight. We don't belong to this system anymore. This is not who we are, and yet it is where we are. And so we are on a battlefield, and because of the grace, the great grace that Christ has bestowed upon us, we should therefore pick up our swords and engage in this battle. Furthermore, in all of this, we see a pattern of sound doctrine. You'll notice a pattern that Peter follows. Doctrine first, exhortation second. Twelve wonderful verses describing salvation in terms of doctrine. What it is, what it's like, what it consists of. No exhortations there, nothing for us to do so far. Just listen to the, to the wonderful description of God's glorious salvation, which He has so freely bestowed. Learn about this, understand this. Now that you understand these things, here are some Commands. Here are some exhortations that you should do based upon your understanding of this salvation. First, the truth about salvation and then how we should live. Grace must first be experienced and then secondly, understood. The imperatives of Christian living always begin with therefore. The imperatives of Christian living always begin with therefore. Why should we do these things? Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. There's always a therefore. Go back and see why. It's based upon a doctrinal foundation. And so why engage the battle? It is because we recognize the greatness of our grace. The grace that God has bestowed upon us. The grace of salvation. Peter is saying precisely the same thing that Paul said in a better-known text in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And what is that therefore? Back to Romans chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Eleven chapters describing the salvation which is yours if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now based upon this great doctrine, this great truth, this great grace, therefore, here's how you should live. And Peter is doing exactly the same thing. The greatness of the salvation which is yours in Christ, therefore, here's some things for you. And so the therefore is really based upon gratitude for the greatness of God's grace. For there is no fortress of the mind, no dungeon of the heart so black that light and life can be repelled, the call of truth ere be brushed back. Nor is there rebel bulwark made where sovereign grace cannot invade. 
nor heartland, distant, cold, and dark, where love's sure word cannot persuade the arrogant or ignorant who will not or who cannot see their desperate need of saving grace that beckons them to bow the knee. A soldier of the hosts of light, mine is the herald's humble role. Christ leads me to engage the hosts of darkness that enslave the soul. I must not fail to press the fight, full knowing it is God's to win. No matter that I doubt myself, to doubt my God is grievous sin. All souls are mine, Jehovah cries, and draws my focus to his power that reassures my fainting heart amidst doubt's dark oppressive hour. Though oft rebuffed, I persevere and bravely lift God's two-edged sword. Ne'er trusting in my own resolve, I gain new hope through Christ the Lord. God hears the often wordless prayers that from my burdened heart ascend, as love compels me to press on and plead for grace time and again. Strengthen my faith, Almighty God, as I recall that saving grace quickened my own dead heart to life and drew me to thy resting place. Jehovah Helps by Bob Latour. Because of grace, because of such great grace, therefore, therefore, brethren, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is it worth the struggle? This battle that we are engaged in, is it worth the struggle? Well, it is a grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ upon which we are to focus. In other words, future grace. As we struggle between two worlds, we become distracted and discouraged. All of us do. And therefore, we need to remember both where we came from as well as where we are going. We're not there yet. God's not finished with us yet. And so we need to remember what lies in store. We, we fix our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, then we're going to see all that is involved in salvation. We only have a down payment now. The grace which is even now bearing down on you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, is the way Edmund Hebert translated it, and I think he's correct. It's talking about what we shall possess and understand when Christ returns, when redemption is complete, when we possess our glorified bodies like Christ had when he came out of the grave, when we have received our full and eternal inheritance, when the rewards of our Christian labors have already been given, and when sin and sorrow and death shall be no more, and we are in the presence of Christ eternally, when that day comes, will we question whether it was worth it? We know it will be. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And so Peter's saying, think about that. Concentrate on that. Set your hope on that. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You'll never ask, is it worth the struggle if you concentrate on the future blessings that yet lie in store for the children of God? And not only remember what lies in store, but remember who did this for you. The grace that is brought to you, which is a reminder that you didn't do it yourself. Somebody else did it for you. And so again, it calls our attention back to God and His mercy and His grace and His love. It's all of grace. It's all undeserved mercy. It's God who did this for you. It's grace that has been brought to you. Grace that has been actively imparted, that is brought to you, or maybe more literally, is being brought. Having already brought us into the family of God, already initiated this process, the grace continues to come to us, flowing like a river. It is coming, it is coming, it is coming, it is coming. It is even now flowing down to us, but there's much more to come. We're not there yet. And so this grace that is being brought is going to come to culmination someday. And remember who it is who did this for you. And then you won't wonder if it's worth the struggle. Remember how personally effective this grace has been to you. The grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God has graciously blessed you with incredible blessings. And if you know yourself to be a child of God and therefore a recipient of all of these blessings, then you realize how favored you are, how blessed you are. And how can you draw back from a battle Short, temporary, as it is, when such great blessings have come to you and such greater blessings yet lie in store for you. Peter calls us, therefore, to focus upon future grace that is certified by past grace, communicated by present grace, and obtained by persevering faith. Future grace, promised grace, Greater grace to come. All that lies in store when Jesus Christ returns. And we don't get all that has been promised to us until Christ returns. That's why we are looking for his coming. We're not looking and longing for death, though death, of course, takes us to the next stage and moves us into the presence of Christ. But we're still so far from all that we shall have in our final inheritance at the time of death. But when Christ returns, whether we are yet alive or whether our bodies are in the ground and our souls are already with the Lord, when Christ returns, then we shall have all of the promised blessings of our salvation And we shall never doubt the worth of them. Now, the point is, we should focus on that now. And by faith, never doubt the worth of them. Future grace that has been certified by past grace. You say, are these future blessings really that great? And are they certain to come? Well, let me ask you. When God promised to the Old Testament saints the coming of a Messiah to lay down his life for their sins. Did that promise find realization? Has Christ come? Did he die upon the cross? Did he lay down his life for the sins of his people? 
Has he been raised from the dead? Is he a living Savior? Are these facts? Are these historical realities of past grace that at one time was future grace to others, but now has come to pass? And because it has come to pass, then we can know that what God has promised in the future is just as certain as what he has already brought to pass in the past. Our future grace is certified by past grace and is communicated to us by present grace. The reason we know about these things is because God in his grace by his spirit has taught us, has given us his word, has sent his spirit to minister to our hearts, has opened our understanding so that we can lay hold on Christ and that we can understand something of the greatness of the grace which is yet to come. And so future grace certified by past grace and communicated to us by present grace is obtained by persevering faith. Keep me, Lord. Oh, keep me cleaving to thyself and still believing till the hour of my receiving promised joys from thee. Is it worth the struggle? Oh, yes, a thousand times yes. Is it worth the struggle? Of course it is. Of course it is. And so that brings us, number three, to the question, how do we fight effectively? Because this is a real battle, a struggle that's going on day by day. And there are three things indicated in our text in how we should fight effectively. Number one, focus upon the goal. Number two, commit yourself to action. And number three, discipline your mind for success. Focus upon the goal. The goal is the return of Christ and all the blessings that are brought when he comes. Now, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Rest your hope fully. Focus upon the goal of Christ's return and the fullness of grace that you shall realize When he returns, rest your hope fully. And that's the main verb of the verse. Not so obvious in English, but very obvious in the original language. This is what Peter is saying. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. For what reason? So that you can rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope completely, says the New American Standard. Set your hope fully, says the English Standard Version. Fix your hope, your goals, your aspirations, your desires, your reasons for living. That's what you are to set upon the grace that will be revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ. What are you living for? You ought to be living for the coming of Jesus Christ. What are your dreams and hopes and visions and aspirations? Well, whatever they are that pertain to this life ought to be very secondary to your main goal, your main hope, your main dream, your main aspiration, which is to meet the Lord at his coming and to receive all the promised blessings that will be yours in that day. Fix your hope fully, 
completely, undividedly, not half-heartedly. That's our problem, isn't it? Sometimes we fix our hope upon these things and then we get distracted and we set our affections upon things of the earth. And we need to gird up the loins of your mind and be sober so that you can set your hope fully in an undivided way, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, set your hope fully and completely upon the coming of Jesus Christ and all that that means. And then you will be able to effectively engage the battle that all Christians are called upon to fight. It's a command to the will. You set your Hope fully. This is not an emotional thing. This is a decision, first of all, and then a matter of obedience. Either you fix your hope fully on this, or you choose not to do that, and instead to set your affections upon other things. You either obey or disobey. We either sin or Obey the Lord. It is the same thing that Paul tells us in Colossians 3.2 when he says, set your affections upon things above, not on the things of the earth. We are to do that. We must set our affections upon things above. Many of God's people are going to have a battle right in that regard tonight about 6 o'clock. The call of American religion or the call of the Lord Jesus Christ, where are you going to set your affections? It's a decision, isn't it? Where are you going to be? What are you going to do? Set your affections on things above. Set your hope fully upon the grace of that is being brought to you even now at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so first of all, we are to focus upon the goal. And secondly, we must commit ourselves to action. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's a Hebrew idiom. Has the idea of pulling your robes up around your waist. They They wore long flowing robes, as you know, and they would reach down and pull them up between their legs and then wrap them into their belts so that they became kind of like, I don't know what you would describe them, but uh, like wearing baggy shorts, I suppose, so that now they were ready for action. We have many times in the Bible where that's referred to, as for example in this case in 1 Kings 18.46, Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He wasn't prepared to run with his long flowing robe. So he girded up his loins. He pulled those robes up or that robe up around his waist and got himself ready. Get your robes up and out of the way is what gird up the loins of your mind means. In other words, prepare your mind for action. How to fight effectively? Number one, focus upon the goal. Number two, commit yourself to action. Get ready for action. And this is the first step of preparation. Before Elijah ran, he first girded up his loins. 
That was preparing himself for action. That demonstrated that he was serious about this run that was before him. And likewise, when you consider the battle that is before you, the first thing to do is to get your mind ready for action. Demonstrate that you are committed to action, that you are serious about this. This injunction is the first of two supporting injunctions and tells us this is how we rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to come. We are to set our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us or is even now being brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? How do we fix our hope upon the grace that is to come? Number one, gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind for action. This speaks of strong mental activity. Take control of your thoughts. No mental sloth. Not blown about by every wind of doctrine. Not blown about by, by loose thoughts that are not controlled. Take control of your thoughts. Get yourself ready to think on God's word, upon God's will, God's ways, God's commands. Prepare yourself for that. Let nothing hinder your mind being put to work in a Godward direction. In other words, whatever hinders, get it out of the way. If those, if your robes are in the way of, of action, then gird them up, get them out of the way. If there's something in the way of your mental action in a Godward direction, then deal with it. Get it out of the way. Whatever it may be, fear or worry or neglect or disuse of your mind. The world tells us that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. They're talking, of course, about education. And there's a great deal of truth in that. But I'll tell you where that's even more true is in the realm of the spiritual, in the realm of the Christian A Christian's mind is a terrible thing to waste. A Christian's mind is a terrible thing to be allowed to just flop here and there without any concerted and focused action upon things eternal. To go through life with a mind that is undisciplined and unready for action. How to set your hope upon future grace? By strong mental resolve to live like a true believer looking for the coming of Christ. And then there's a third thing. Discipline your mind for success. Not only get your mind ready for action, but discipline your mind for success. Be sober. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought. And this is the second supporting exhortation. Remember, the main verb is set your hope fully upon the grace that is to come. That's the primary action of this text. But there are two supporting clauses. And the one is, gird up the loins of your mind. And the second one is, be sober. In other words, commit yourself to action and then discipline your mind for action, for success. Be sober. Present tense. Continuing state of sobriety. Be sober. A word that is used for the opposite of drunkenness, both in the Bible as elsewhere. And, of course, I don't need to tell you that alcohol and drugs will war against your being sober, your being disciplined for success. But it's used in a broader sense than that. 
It's used of other kinds of mental intoxication or mental stupor. Be sober. That is, free yourself from everything that would impede mental self-control. Whatever distracts you from things eternal. Whatever causes you to lack focus upon God's Word. Whatever areas of laziness that impede you from making progress in your Christian life, you deal with those. Be sober. Have an orderly, disciplined mind. One commentator said, Christian living needs order as well as ardor. Christian living needs order as well as ardor. It's not simply a matter of zeal. It's also a matter of order. It's a matter of discipline. And therefore, it's up to us to control our schedules and not allow them to control us. It's up to us to control our thoughts and not allow them to go wherever they will. It's up to us to control our emotions and not allow them to rule our lives. It's up to us to control our desires and to make sure that they are set upon things above. We are commanded to discipline our minds. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. That too is a command. And so I have a couple of questions for you. What do you think about when you don't have to think? When you don't have anything that you're required to think about on your job or whatever, what do you think about? Be sober. Discipline your mind. At those times, more than any other times, it's very important. Question number two, what do you do with your free time? You say, well, that's my time to do what I want to with. You've been bought with the blood of Christ. You belong to him. That's time that he has given you to discipline yourself for godliness. What do you do with your free time? Number three, how carefully do you guard your mind against unholy thoughts? Of course they come. They come to all of us. They assail us. We still live in the flesh and we still live in the world. And we can't be freed from such assaults and temptations. Many a person has tried to find the formula of being freed from these things so they don't bother us anymore. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we could just do something? If there, there was some formula that said, if I'll do this, then I won't be bothered by unholy thoughts and desires anymore. Sorry, there is no such formula. There is no such such magic cure. There is no such place in the Christian life where you can be freed from them. God doesn't want you to be freed from them so that you don't have to struggle. God wants you to win the struggle by taking control of your thoughts. Be sober. In short, prepare for Christ's return by thinking and acting according to your true nature as a Christian. Be who you are. Act like who you are in Christ. Are you a Christian? Have you been been saved by the grace of God? Have you been begotten again unto a lively hope? Have you been birthed into the family of God? Have you been given new life? Then act like it. Of course, the unregenerate can't act this way. 
They have no capacity for it, but you do. You do. So act like it. Because the battle is in the mind. And many Christians lose the battle every day. Some passively wait for someone or something else to do it for them, to to sweep them along. That magic something that will make me do what I ought to do, will make me feel like I want to feel, will make me think what I ought to think about. Some seek help through emotional stimulation. So much of Christianity today is all geared to the emotions. And the idea is if we can jack people up emotionally, sweep them along emotionally, tug on their emotions, then we can move them in this direction. But that's not the formula that the Bible sets before us. There's a place for emotions in the Christian life. I get emotional in response to truth. I get emotional as the truth of God's word grips my soul. But it's not just being jacked up emotionally that's going to help you win the battle. It's a battle for the mind, not a battle for the emotions. Some seek a second blessing that will raise them above the fray. They sing, I want to live above the world where Satan's darts at me are hurled. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. I want to get above all that. Sorry, there is no such place until you die. Is that what you're praying for? I want to live above the world in heaven. There you'll experience that. That's the place where you'll not be touched by Satan's darts. But until you're there, there is no such place. Stop waiting for it, praying for it, seeking for it, hoping for it. There is no such place. There is no second blessing like that. These are all mental delusions. The battle is in the mind and must be won on a daily basis by conscious, purposeful activity. I would recommend that every morning before you start your day, you think through the day. What, what is on your schedule today, as far as you know, recognizing that God often changes our schedule? But think through the day. What do you need to do? What do you need to accomplish? Where are the likely temptation points? Resolve what you are going to do today with eternity's values in view, and pray for God's grace. I would recommend that you ask God to help you focus when you read your Bible. It's so easy for your mind to wander, but discipline yourself. Be sober. Grab hold of your thoughts and pull them back to the Word of God. Memorizing Scripture is a wonderful way to focus your mind Upon God's word. Guard against destructive thoughts. Of course they assail. The question is. Are you going to pursue them. Or are you going to battle against them. Train yourself to think about Christ. And the inheritance that awaits you. When he returns. We don't focus upon that enough do we. And that's what Peter says. Will help us mightily here. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind to be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a battle. Why engage the battle? Because grace has rescued and changed you. Is it worth the struggle? Yes. Remember what awaits you. How do I fight effectively? Focus upon the goal. 
Commit yourself to action and discipline your mind for success. May God help us. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, you know who we are. You know that we are but dust. You know our weakness. You know how often, O oh Lord, we fail to gird up the loins of our mind and to be sober and to set our hope fully upon the grace that shall be revealed at the coming of Christ. O oh Lord, we acknowledge our responsibility and our failure and our sin. We confess, O oh Lord, that we have been most negligent in these areas that you have so clearly laid before us. Forgive us, Lord. How glad we are that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now, Lord, help us. Help us to gird up the loins of our mind. Help us, O Lord, to be ready to fight the battle of the mind. Help us, O Lord, to be disciplined in our thought life as in other areas of our life. Help us, O Lord, to focus upon Christ and what he has done for us and the greatness of the grace we have already received and the even greater grace which has been promised to us. O Lord, help us to live in the light of all of this to the glory of our Savior. Amen.